everyone, and welcome to another episode of an emergency podcast for the Chirpignon. So we had some pretty big deals go today, but here to talk with me about them is Mike Gould. Mike, how are you? Uh, I'm super happy to be here. A really exciting day. Uh, I mean, even beyond everything that's going on, I mean, the LA Angels are up 23 nothing on the Colorado Rockies right now. I mean, that's just nuts, too. Everything's going crazy today, and no shortage of things to talk about. So I'm not a baseball fan. I have that game on because at this point, how can you not? Yeah, it's it's but wild. Yeah, I, I mean, no kidding. I don't think we, I don't think we have it on cable up here in Canada. I don't think I can watch it. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been following along. Crazy to me that Otani, I mean, is one for five, and he's been left on base three times. And I mean, it's just like you know, he's gotten on. I think he's got a couple walks, and I don't know. But like, it's it's just he's. Uh, he's not necessarily going crazy, but the team is going crazy. That's crazy. I mean, that's sort of the reverse of what we've come to expect from the Angels. But anyway, sort of like how today was the reverse of what we come to expect from the Coyotes in terms of trades and moves. Yeah, uh, it came up, what, I think two weeks ago on podcast that Frank Saravalli said that the Coyotes were going to be buyers. And that really came to fruition today. Um. Yeah, Sean yeah, Jersey ad is to me, it's a huge ad. It covers almost perfectly what the Coyotes needed for both this season and just in their asset pool with a young, offensive minded defenseman who can run a uh, power play very effectively. But uh, what's your thoughts on the deal? Yeah, it's not often in the last couple of years where we've been able to sort of sit down after a long day and say the Coyotes got better today. Uh, you know, you can talk about various NHL entry drafts. 2021 was a big one where they got Gunther and Moser. Um, but you look at today and, and Sean Dersey being acquired. I mean, you know, I was wondering about the possibility of them looking at bringing back Shane Gostas Bear in the offseason. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I still don't think that would necessarily be the worst idea. But the fact that they've gotten this uh, right shot defenseman who is decently sized and has such a good pedigree of, being an offensive guy for producing points in the NHL, you know, and, and I think that's the guy who the Kings are kind of selling low on because of one bad playoff series. Uh, I look at Sean Dersey and the way that he can move the puck, the way that he can skate with the puck. And, you know, it's not the perfect direct comparable, but I'm reminded of TJ Brody when he was a young guy here in Calgary. Um, and he had his odd defensive lapses. Now I think Brody's underlings were a little bit stronger, but at the same time, I think just from a, a raw tools perspective, you know, Dersey, I think, has the ability to do a lot of the same thing. And so um, in terms of being a young guy with controllable years, I mean, he's an RFA after next season. And uh, it's interesting to see the Coyotes getting a guy whose actual salary exceeds his cap hit, which is kind of interesting. Um, he, he's making $2 million next year, but his cap hit is 1.7, so... You know, it's it's a it's a good move, all things considered. I'm curious to see who he plays with. If he plays with JJ Moser, I think that could be really interesting. Maybe bring out some more of Moser's defensive game, which I think, you know, I think he's being asked to do a little bit too much in the offensive zone, or at least he has been. So to see him maybe get some more leeway to really develop into a shutdown guy, which I think he can be. If Jersey can allow him to do that, then I think that'd be really cool. So Opens up a lot of cool possibilities. I think this is just the start. I think it should be just the start. Um, but for a first move, great move. Oh yeah, no question. This is this is 
when we were talking about Chikrin, the LA, it always seemed like it was okay that one of those pieces that's going to be worth the first was Sean Dersey. So to get him for a second round pick, and not just a second round pick, a second round pick next year where we don't know where it's going to be, and it's definitely not as good of a draft as this year. To me, that's it's an amazing deal that you had to take a uh, take advantage of. Um, well, on yeah. its own, I I don't get effects are stand that much. I think we're going to finish the same as we did before the trade, give or take. But it just helps us get that much closer to comp- competition, and I think the overall Coyotes will look much better on the ice with him all out there. Yeah, I, I think uh, I wouldn't put I wouldn't say the Coyotes maybe even won't make an addition uh, on defense and free agency. And there's a few guys. I mean, I already mentioned Goss despair, but I think you know I still could see it happening. But at the same time, I think they maybe look at somebody with a bit more defensive acumen. Um, Patrick Nemeth, you know, isn't necessarily that guy. He was tasked to be that guy last year, but um, I don't think he's really up to that anymore at this point in his career. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. You know, I look at guys, I think Radko Gudis, the UFA this year. Now, I, I'm not sure. Again, you always have to have to uh, put this down as, are these guys willing to sign with a rebuilding team? And a lot of the guys who do are trying to rebuild their value, right? Because it's sort of an individual thing. It matches the alignment of the team. A guy like Radko Kudis isn't really trying to re- rebuild his value at this point. But that's the kind of guy who the Coyotes, I think, really need. And so if there's a guy like that who they can find on the market, uh, who sort of provides that meanness, that snarl. Now, Josh Brown is kind of a, a bargain version of that. I could see maybe a guy like Travis Hamannick. Um, you know, Hamannick has expressed in the past a desire to play in Canada. Uh, he played with the Senators last year. He's been with the Canucks and the Flames. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if that's realistic. But again, you know, just a guy with a bit of that meanness. I think that's something that the Coyotes really need. Um, and I think their defense, you know, I think their defense, with with Jersey in the fold has a lot of upside. I, I I really like JJ Moser and I like Yusuf Alamaki and I think Jersey gives them another element. And Victor Soderstrom, uh, I think I'm higher on than a lot of people at this point because I think he just you know I, I'm curious you know if you put Soderstrom with Alamaki, I think that's another one of those pairings where you have a guy who can shut things down and a guy who can really move the puck. So, um, cut down guy who I'm thinking of actually who I've thought of for a while is Nico Mikola. Um, who is a really big defenseman, uh, 6'4", who uh, was in St. Louis while Bill Armstrong was there. He was involved in the Vladimir Tarasenko trade uh, to the Rangers at the trade deadline. Um, he's a UFA, just turned 27 in April, so he's a young UFA. And I think if you can give him a couple of years, uh, play the left side, maybe play second or third pairing, You know, I think that's another move that makes you feel a lot better about your defense as you're trying to be... I think what the Coyotes are trying to shift away from being is being the retirement home, the the place where guys go to you know play out the string and and uh, and sort of they fill the bottom of their roster with just you know kind of has beens or guys who wouldn't be in the NHL anywhere else, you know. And with all due respect to guys like you know Liam O'Brien and and Boko Imama and you know these guys who we've seen come up and, and fill gaps over the last few years at various points. I think this is a year where the Coyotes, I think, in order to prove their relevance, not only to the rest of the league, but also to their own players, while they sort out this arena situation, I think it's critical that they make sure that they've got 
actual bona fide NHL caliber players or guys who project to be that occupying pretty much every hole. They've got two for two in net, Ingram and Vamelka. We'll touch on Ingram later. That's good. At forward, they're working on that. They bought out Cassian. Carconi, I think, is a guy who deserved that shot. Um, and then I think they'll sign a couple more forwards. And then on defense, Derby is a step forward. And I think they got to make a couple more additions. But yeah, it's funny. You know, you talked about Derby and Chikrin and all that stuff. I mean, you and I both, I think, subscribed to THNX with Craig Morgan. And uh, Craig, you know, dropped that tidbit in the chat earlier today that was kind of interesting for the diehard subscribers that he had heard that Dursey, uh when the Kings and Coyotes were talking Chikrin, was a guy who the Kings didn't want to trade. And that wasn't that long ago. That was less than a year ago. That was less than six months ago. And now we're here and Dursey gets moved for a piece that the Coyotes can more than afford to part with in a, a future second round pick. I mean, for them, that might as well be a seventh round pick with how many they have. So, you know, that's a no brainer for Arizona. And I think it's a really good move for them. Yeah, two other things that I want to touch on with this before we move on to the Carter Ingram yep. deal is one thing I do think that this really does is take a lot of pressure off of Soderstrom. He was going to come in and be tasked with having to take a much larger role than uh, he's ready for because we don't have that offense from the back end. We don't have those power play quarterbacks. He was going to have to step up into one of those roles and not be eased into it. And this this definitely alleviates a lot of that pressure. Soderstrom can just come in, play his game, doesn't have to worry about performing to keep us competitive. He can just focus on developing his game and growing into being the NHLer, as I'm guessing he will make the team this year, but we don't well, we don't know that until we're closer to the year. Yeah. The other th- no, thing it does no is the other thing it does too is this year isn't a great year for defensemen in the top of the draft. And well, it doesn't completely alleviate the need for adding defense to your prospect pool. Do we still need to add that? That is still a position of need. This definitely alleviates the need to get with one of those first two picks. I, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Well, and you've, you've heard Jankowski and Plandowski say that, you know, they like next year as a draft for defensemen. And so yeah. they don't feel so bad. And again, this is all from Craig Morgan. They don't feel all so bad about, you know, picking two forwards in, at six and 12 if need be. And they can always, you know, there's a lot of guys who will probably be there at 38, whether it's a guy like Lucas Dragasevitz or somebody else uh, who they can, you know, take a swing on at that point, Tanner Molendike, somebody like that, um, where, you know, getting a guy like Jersey gives you that organizational depth and not for a minute do I think they're done adding to their defensive group. Um, what this does tell me though, is that their next guy and I hinted at it with Mikola is going to be a bigger guy for sure. Cause we've heard so many times about um, how, you know, Bill Armstrong and company really value size on the back end. And now you've got four guys on defense uh, who form your presumptive top four on your depth chart. And Dursey is six feet. Moser is six one. Valimaki is six two. And Victor Soderstrom, boy, oh boy. I mean, he is 5'11", and that's charitable, I think. And so, you know, you got Josh Brown, who's going to play minutes next year, big minutes. Um, and he's a bigger guy at 6'5". But at the same time, I think you're remiss if you don't expect, you know, seeing a guy like, I could even see Justin Hall 
from Toronto. He's six four. Um, I could see uh, Nick Holden from Ottawa. He's six four. They're going to add at least, I think, one more guy with big, big size on the back end, and you know maybe even two. You know, because if they don't necessarily feel comfortable with Soderstrom as an everyday guy right away, I mean, maybe they bring back Connor Mackey. He's the bigger guy too. I'm not necessarily sure that they do, but nevertheless, I mean, I don't think you're necessarily going to see Michael Kesselring spending the entire season in the NHL. I think he's going to play uh, some games. He's six four, but beyond that, you know, Koliachanak, he's six one. So, you know, I just think I, I hate to assess guys just based on their height because it goes so much more than that, but. At the same point, I think they're going to want to establish a bigger uh, contingent back there as well. Um, you know, and and they'll want to pair some of their smaller guys with a bigger guy too. I think, especially a guy like Soderstrom. And on that on that size note, one thing I do want to point out with it is the Avalanche have two really small defensemen. Or I shouldn't say really small. I should say smaller defensemen in Caleb McCarr and Sam Gerrard. And even yeah. they have an average defense core of over six and six foot two point five inches, because yeah. no team oh, has yeah. won the cup in the last fifteen years now without a decor over that. That's the smallest decor that's won it. You do need yeah. size on there, so that is definitely something that the Coyotes should look to add. But you need quality size on there. Not adding size for size doesn't do it. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. And I think Josh Brown, I mean, I think he's a, a pretty good number six defenseman, but you're fooling yourself if you think he's more than that. Um, you know, I think there is definitely a need, and I think they will address it. Um, I mean, you look at Bill Armstrong himself. Yeah, if you ever meet him, he's a huge guy. I mean, you go up to him, and he's just enormous. He towers up. And so you can see him wanting to sort of embody that with the guys who he brings in and so, yeah, I, I think it's definitely going to be something they prioritize. And you know what? Uh, I think Nico Mikola, the first guy I mentioned, you know, July 1st, I wouldn't be surprised if they give him like 2 by 2.5 and you just, you know, say go wild, play with Victor Soderstrom, teach this guy how to play defense, and that'll be your third pair. I could totally see that. One one thing I like about that too is a two-year deal almost perfectly sets up the timeline-wise for – that spot to be open when uh, Maverick Lamoureux is ready for the NHL or looking to make that jump. Yeah, and that too. That, exactly. That kind of a role is almost exactly what Maverick Lamoureux seems destined for. Now, now, if they like David Reinbacher enough to take him at six, I mean, we could go on about that all day. Um, I mean, he's not the biggest guy either. He's six two, but I mean, he definitely has some size and he can really hit. Um, yeah, I mean. I, I, it does sound like it's going to, you know, I uh, know I'm not going off of anything that hasn't already been public, but it does, you know, the two names that I'm hearing the most, it's just David Reinbacher and Dalibor Dvorsky. And I mean, you're going to get size either way. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but uh, yeah, no, D- Reinbacher, I mean, changes the, changes the whole, the whole equation, because I think there's a world where that guy's ready, not this year, but next year. I really do think so. And because just he's already been playing against professionals. I think if you draft David Reinbacher, you're almost looking at the J.J. Moser situation with this guy surprises you by being knocking on the door almost right away. But that's a conversation for later. Uh, for now, I think just with Sean Dersey, he gives the Coyotes a dimension they lacked. I mean, I was wondering who was going to be their power play quarterback going into this season. Not anymore. He's the guy. And so it's, it's a good day. I, I'm curious to hear from him. I hope they have a media availability at some point soon um, with him. Uh, I'll, I'll inquire about that maybe tonight. 
um, because uh, I want to hear from him and, and hear what he has to say. Yeah, because that is one thing I wanted to ask you about. He is an RFA after this year, so we should, first off, more than likely expect a raise on that $1.7 million cap hit. And secondly, what do you think the chances are he signs long-term after that? Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, I think you gotta, you can't sign him sight unseen. I mean, he's got a decent track record of two years, but at the same time, it's not like he's been around for 10, right? You know, it, 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 we've seen it time and again with, with these defensemen who come in and guns blazing, but they don't necessarily have the greatest defensive acumen. Once they're asked to play a, a bigger role, they kind of fall apart. And, uh, you know, that may or may not happen. An example of where that happened was with Shane Gosper when he was in Philadelphia. And he comes in, he was on Team North America at the World Cup of Hockey, and then they tried to turn him into a top-pairing guy, and that's not what he was supposed to be, and it kind of threw him off the train for a minute, and he had to come to Arizona to get his game back together. And so, you know, you got to see what this guy can do. you got to play him on a pairing that's suited to his strengths. I think a pairing with J.J. Moser makes a lot of sense to me. And, uh, you know, if after that, I think you maybe look at maybe getting him at a five-by-four-and-a-half or something, uh, four-and-a-half, feels like a good ballpark to me if he continues you know if he scores 40 points this year and if he is competent in his own end that makes a whole lot of sense to me I think he would like that I think the team would like that but at the same time I would also you know maybe slow the roll on thinking this is going to be the guy who's on the top pairing when you know the Coyotes make the playoffs in three years that I'm not as convinced of but I think for what he is right now uh, 4.5 if he repeats what he is what he is right now I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it's a contract you could always trade down the road if you needed to. Um, you know, I think that just that checks the boxes to me. Yeah, part of the reason I think that this deal is so perfect for the Coyotes in their situation is short term, he gives us that power play one. He gives us that guy who can be on the top pair right now, but shouldn't be long term. So when you get that top pairing defenseman, he can go down to the second pair, and all it does is Alleve, or elevate the play of everyone around him because he's playing his right role. You have guys playing on the first pairing that should be. It, it just always helps a team click so much more when you have these players in their right role. Um, yeah, it's going to take a couple years to get to that point, but but it's, again, a large part of why I'm so excited about this trade. Yeah, he, he basically gives you a stopgap 1RD, and if you get a real 1RD, then he's your number two. That's really what you're asking for there with, with Sean Durden. So lots to be excited about. Hope he, uh, hope he can score a lot of goals next season. Absolutely. So on to the other big news from today. The Coyotes have signed Connor Ingram to a 3 by one85 Am I got that correctly? Well, 9.5. Okay. I think it was 1.95, I believe. Yep, that's it. My bad. I was misreading that. So yeah. yeah, one three by one point nine five deal. Um, personally, I think that's a great deal, and it's fitting salary wise. If it's more of the same from last year, where he starts out really, really poorly and comes on stronger at the end, but the way he played at the end of the year or towards the end of the year, um, was really strong. If he gives us more than that, that this. This is an incredible bargain, and it locks up our starting two goaltenders for under $6 million per season for the next two years at least. Uh, uh, what's under, your thoughts under, on it? Under $5 million per season. 
They come in at four point seven million a year, which is uh, which is a great number. And I mean, I think you're happy with either of these guys. I mean, there's been talk for a- forever about Karel Vamelka maybe even being uh, a starter caliber goalie on a team if he gets traded to a good team. Well, what if the Coyotes develop into that good team? Then maybe he's your guy for the next couple of years. And to that same point, I think Connor Ingram might be even better than Karel Vamelka is. So. I think uh, the two of them combined making that dollar figure for the next couple of years is is something that you're really, really happy about. It also gives you the ability to trade Vimelka if somebody offers the moon for him. I think Vimelka has the higher trade value, but I think Ingram is the better goaltender. And I think getting this deal done for three years, it is good to see a player expressing his commitment to stay, which has not always been that common. Um, and yeah, signing for term, when things aren't the greatest. And so it's it's a really nice piece of business. And it's the deal that I think I was the most confident that would get done among the four RFAs. Um, now I'm just the four major RFAs, I should say. Um, now I'm curious to see, you know, I think I think of the remaining three, I, I suspect the Matias Michelli one is the one that's going to take the longest. Um, although, I mean, he doesn't really, I don't think he has arbitration rights just yet, but uh, no, he doesn't. But, um, you know, uh, Jack McBain doesn't either. Uh, um, and Fisher, I believe, does. And so, uh, actually, McBain does too. Wow, that's surprising. I mean, he's pretty young, but nevertheless. Uh, so, yeah, I think Michelli's going to take the longest just because there isn't that pathway for them to go down with arbitration. Um, Fisher, I think, will get done relatively quickly. I would not be surprised if he was done next, maybe even before free agency opens next week. Um, and McBain, you know... I think McBain, I would like to see a similar contract as this one, to be honest. I think a three-year deal uh, takes him till he's uh, 26, which would be perfect because that would still give him one more RFA year left, and so you could lock him up long-term then. Um, And for Fisher, I think, you know, honestly, a three-year deal might make sense there too. Um, So, you know, I think Ingram, this is one that I was a little bit maybe worried that it might go a little bit higher in terms of money or it might be shorter in terms of term because basically you're eating up UFA years regardless. Ingram is 26, and so he only had one RFA year left. If you gave him a one-year deal, you're walking him straight to UFA. So getting three at less than $2 million for a guy who is, has been as highly touted as he is, I think it makes a whole lot of sense, and it gives the Coyotes another good piece to add to their arsenal. Absolutely. I was I was 100% of the mind earlier this offseason that if keeping Ingram and trading Vamelka, you do it. Uh, there's yeah. just using the eye test. There's so much I like about Ingram's game more so than Veggie, who seems almost loose and uh, I don't know the right term for it, but just not as fundamentally sound as Ingram does at times. Yeah. Yeah. But when he's on, it's unquestionable. Veggie is great. But the two, I, I really do think Ingram has a higher ceiling, just like you said. Um, and the other thing I want to touch on with this too is with Prosvetov. Keep in mind he's only I think two years younger than Connor Ingram. Yeah, he hasn't shown much at the AHL level. He hasn't shown much at the NHL level. More than likely, he slides through waivers, gets Waiver. back down to the AHL, and um, plays. But if somebody does step up and claim him, it's not the end of the world. It's not really going to hurt the Coyotes' long-term plan. I would be almost willing to guarantee. Not quite. I'd probably make a bet on it if I lived in a state that was legal. 
that the Coyotes will take a goalie in the first three rounds. But I just think Prosvitov getting claimed on waivers, if it does come to happen, which itself is not a guarantee, is not the end of the world. Yeah, I would be gobsmacked if Prozvatov was claimed on uh, waivers next season. I just don't see that at all. I mean, you're talking about a goalie with a 900 save percentage in the American League. That's yeah, that doesn't get claimed on waivers. I mean, you look at the guys who get claimed on waivers every year. It's guys like Connor Ingram, uh, guys who you know have really good AHL numbers, who have played NHL games and have done pretty well in them too. I mean, Connor Ingram, you got to remember when the Coyotes claimed him, he was coming off a playoff series with. Nashville, where he was their best player. I mean, he was dominant, uh, if you can say that, in a, in a sweep loss. He was there. He was, he kept them in every game. And so, you know, that was a natural claim. You could see that one coming. He had posted a 915 save percentage in the AHL, and he would look like one of the top goaltending prospects not in the league. And so um, that was natural. Nobody thinks Ivan Prozbatov right now is one of the top goaltending prospects in the league. And that's not a slight on Ivan Prozbatov. I think he could be. A decent player eventually it's just where he's at right now if you're claiming a guy on waivers he is going to be uh he's going to be one of your top two goaltenders and you know that's not that's, that's <laughs> which what nhl team is going to have ivan prosvitov as one of their top two goaltenders next season none of them are unless you're like chicago but like that doesn't no they're going to sign somebody in free agency so it's it's not going to happen he'll be in the he'll oh. be in the american league next year and he'll get some more time to develop. And if he turns into something great, maybe you trade Vimelka and you slide him up. I was going to throw out Philly simply because it seems like they are absolutely tanking next season and he may help them with that. But uh, that's another story for another day. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, Philly's got Carter Hart. I mean, if they trade him, maybe, but like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if, if they trade him, like I said, this is 100% a tank going on in that city. And yeah. Who knows what's going on at that point? Because trading a 24-year goalie, no matter what stage of a rebuild you're in, that guy's going to come out of it. But again, getting off tra- topic here. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, yeah, no, so, I just think... If you go ahead. Uh, if you, did you have anything more you wanted to bring up with the Connor Ingram signing, or, or did we cover it all? Well, yeah, I mean, I just hope it's the harbinger for more signings to come. I think... Uh, you know, I wouldn't even object to them uh, trading for other teams RFAs and trying to sign them. And you know, they've got the three—they've got the three NHL RFAs still left. Uh, they've got uh, an additional six in the American League, um, and I think you know the RFA qualifying deadline is coming up on June thirtieth. So, assuming all these guys remain unsigned by then, I would expect them to qualify Fisher, Michelli, uh, McBain. Um, Yannick Smith and uh, Prozentov. I think those are the guys who I think they'll they'll qualify. I think they'll let Crotty, Pendek, and McGregor go. And um, you know, I would expect you know most of the AHL guys to sign in July or early August. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I think with Yannick and Smith right now, there is a three C hole open. Um, you know, they've got obviously McBain and Hayton who are their NHL centers right now, and Travis Boyd, who will play fourth-line center. But, um, you know, they need that guy to sort of step up and be that guy. Now, I'm almost wondering, you know, I'm in Calgary. There's a guy who we've got who's looking like he's on the outs in Adam Rzichka, 
I could see Arizona looking at a guy like that and saying, well, we're going to give you a chance to be our number three center. Um, but, you know, at the same time, if they don't make that move, I could see them either signing a guy, an unrestricted free agent in the same vein as Nick Bukestad, maybe even Nick Bukestad, or promoting one of those two guys like Yannick and, and, uh, and uh, Smith. And so, you know, it's just some, some things to watch for. I think both those guys get qualified as res- restricted free agents. And, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's it's going to be really interesting. Jack McBain, I mean, is that the guy who you start with as your number two center? It's 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 something to really consider because, you know, he was playing that at the end of the year with um, with Bukestad traded. He was on that line with uh, Michelli and, and Kraus, and, and I think he did a pretty good job. So it's 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 really something to watch. And I almost wonder if you maybe even look at signing McBain a little bit longer now with the idea that maybe he improves, but... Yeah, it's just so hard to gauge at this point. There's a lot in the air. There really is. And that's what makes this season so, or this off season so fun to me is mm-hmm. you have the Coyotes are buying. You have quite possibly the most important draft in in our, this franchise's history with two lottery picks in the best draft since 2015. Have so many young players that are going to be battling for a roster spot because I believe Yannick is waiver eligible next season. So you have to factor that into his, um, into if you send him down or not, does he get claimed? And he's, he's a guy who seems right on the cusp of it. You could see one of these other rebuilding teams think, Oh, you know what? They have someone who's looked decent in the AHL. Let's grab him and see what he can do in our NHL team. Um, yeah. There's just there's so much going on for the Coyotes because we're doing this right. We're doing this rebuild right. We are taking that next step of the rebuild, but we're not bringing in a Taylor Hall or a Phil Kessel to try to rush it. We're still developing the young guys. We're trading for young guys that fit the timeline. We're doing stuff along that that's just it's so exciting based on what the Coyotes have done for years. This is this is exciting. This, you have every right to be excited over this. Yep. Yeah, and I don't think they're done adding. You know, I think the guy who I uh, beat the drum for a little while here is Victor Olofsson. He makes a whole lot of sense and uh, that he's a pure goal scorer. Uh, but kind of like Jersey, he's not a guy who moves the needle necessarily forward too much to the point where he gets you into the playoffs too early or he gets you up to 10th place and then you're picking 14th or something. You know he's a he's a he's kind of an empty calorie guy, but I think he's a guy who would be entertaining to watch. And he's only signed for one year, and I think he would improve morale on the team. I think he would signal to the team that you know this is a, a little bit of a push to be a little bit more respectable here. We're going to bring in a guy who can score twenty five goals or maybe even thirty goals. He scored twenty eight last year, and so um, you know put that guy in the right flank on the first power play unit and see what he can do. I think it's. You know, really interesting question. I think it could be answered pretty quickly because I think Buffalo's looking to move him. And he's only signed for one year, and he's going to be a UFA after that. And I don't think they're expecting to get that much for him. So, you know, if you move one of your thirds for Victor Olofsson and you have Sean Jersey already in the fold, well, suddenly you're looking a whole lot more like an NHL team right away. And uh, when Logan Cooley comes in, then you're starting to look like you've got a pretty good top nine. And so, you know, just guy like that you know i thought about kyler yamamoto um that's not going to happen from what i understand um but you know i think i think they're definitely going to add a forward uh, and probably via the trade market they've got more than enough to picks to do it 
And so, you know, I think it's going to be a busy next little week. I mean, they got the draft, obviously, on the 28th and 29th. If I had to bet, I don't think they're done making moves. I think in the next three days, I think maybe we'll see something else. One thing I do really like about the uh, Victor Olsen thing that you brought up, too, is he's looking likely that he's going to cost a third-round pick right now. If you don't mm-hmm. think you can resign him or you don't want to resign him, what are the odds okay. that... Yeah, what are the odds that if you retain 50% that that's not at least a third back, if not a second, if he's looking like a 30-plus goal scorer? I mean, we yeah. see those guys even, get flipped for second. First. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, that, like, yeah, no, I, I think it's a no-risk proposition. The Coyotes got four third-round picks this year. I don't expect them to make all four of those picks. I think, uh, I think it would be a move that makes a ton of sense if they were to do it. Um, you know, it's, it's all purely speculative, but in terms of guys who have been mentioned on the trade market, you know, I think he's the perfect fit. I think he's a guy who would make a whole lot of sense as a target for Matias Michelli's passes as a guy who can show Dylan Gunther how to score. You know, it just, it, it just feels like a seamless fit to me and we'll see if they go down that road. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be, it's going to be very interesting to watch. I've seen the Kyler Yamamoto talk to around him, and I just, I look at Kyler Yamamoto and I go, I just don't see why GMBA, who's talked about wanting to get bigger, brings in, I think, the second smallest player in the, in the NHL currently. Yeah, no, it's not happening. Hasn't, I, yeah, who hasn't been very good for two years. So, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I had somebody reach out to me and say it's not going to happen. So uh, it makes a okay. lot of sense that it's, yeah, it's not going to happen. Well, there you go. That there you have it on that end. Um, yeah. Another thing too, I'm glad you brought up the Christian Fisher RFA thing because one thing I do again want to say is uh, growth doesn't happen in a linear fashion. Just because we're making these additions doesn't mean our record is going to improve overnight. You've seen it when the Devils got ha- Dougie Hamilton, the Columbus Blue Jackets went out and got Johnny Goodrow this offseason and became the second worst team in the league. Adding these pieces doesn't always mean uh, improvements on the record-wise, even if it's taking steps in the right direction. Having a guy yeah. like Christian Fisher, as we're still going through the rebuild, that's that good in the locker room is so important. you got to keep him. You have to keep him. Yeah, no doubt. I think they will make that move uh, for sure. I'm very curious to see if they make a... Uh if they make a uh, a captaincy move this year. You know, they've got a couple of years without one. It's not a good look, I find, to to go without one for a super long time, I find. Um, so I, I think it makes a whole lot of sense to try and name one. Now, it's up to Turney, obviously. Um, but, you know, there's a couple of very deserving candidates, Keller, Kraus, Fisher. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. It makes a lot of sense. And... Uh, if they're really trying to take the step toward being, you know, a respectable team, I think that's something that you really got to do. And I, I, I mean, everybody has their own methodology about it. Um, I just know that in Calgary, Flames have gone two years without it, and it really started to grind on people that they didn't have one. Um, now they were dealing with a coach who was far less approachable who Andre than Andre Turney is. Um, and you know, in that instance, in that instance, the captain, I think was needed to mediate that relationship. I don't think that's necessary in Arizona, but at the same time, I think it's just something that adds a little bit of gravitas to your organization. 
And I think giving Clayton Keller the captaincy would would send a big message toward you know his stature as the face of the team. Absolutely, Clayton Keller would be my pick too. He's done so. I mean, he's been my pick for it ever since he went up and spoke in front of the Tempe Kell for the arena. Yeah. Um, he's dealt with so much on this team, even in his short time here. He, yeah. he's, he's just got so much going for him to make him the C, make him the C, make him the face of the franchise. Show yeah. him, show the hockey world, this is the kid we're building around. Move along. Yeah, no, it makes it makes a lot of sense to me. So, anyway, we will uh, we'll see we'll see what they do. But it just uh, it just just resonates with me as something that they should probably do. Yep. So, we have one other thing that outside of the Sean Durzins today, this might be the number one subject I see talked about most. And this isn't just Coyotes fans; this is all hockey Twitter right now. And mm-hmm. that is the enigmatic Russian in the draft. If, what are your thoughts on Matt Vymishkov in the situation? Would you take him? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Would you take him at six if you were Bill Armstrong? Yeah, like, I think it was this podcast that I I came on and I, I talked about this two months ago where I thought that they might make a trade with Washington. And, uh, you know, six to eight, it makes too much sense. Washington wants Mishkov. Now, the fact that he's over here right now, he's in New York and he's going to be at the draft. And so that's, I think that's going to make him go higher. I'm serious that the fact that he's here for it and he's in the States and he's, he's, I mean, not to mention all the stuff that's going on in Russia right now, which, you know, I don't even know how that impacts things. If that makes it more or less likely, I don't think anybody knows, but I do think he'll be an early pick on the 28th on Wednesday. Um, and you know what? It would be such a baller move for the Coyotes to pick him. Um, I, I, I don't know if he'll even be there at six, though. Like, uh, I think, you know, you can pretty safely count on Bedard being the number one, obviously. Number two, Fantilli. Number three is where I think it gets interesting. Uh, number three, I'm not too sure. I think number three and number four and number five, I think there's a very strong possibility that Meechkov goes in those three picks. And so, you know, in that case, if he does, you're starting to look at, you know, getting a guy who you might not have expected to get at six at six in terms of, you know, there's a, the, it, that means that there's a decent chance that Will Smith might get to six. And if Will Smith gets to six, then you take him. Um, you know, it guarantees that you'll get one of Dvorsky and Reinbacher if you want one of those two guys. So... You know, I think there's no real bad outcome for the Coyotes. I think either way, they're going to get a guy they like. I'm really warming up to to Dvorsky. I think there's a reality out there where he turns into Anze Kopitar 2.0. Um, but it's just there's so much volatility. You know, I, I wonder almost. You know, does Washington try to trade up to four? You know, it's it's they have to make it worth their while. That's the one thing with Washington is they don't really have the assets. I find to necessarily move up that much. Maybe to six, but not necessarily to four. You know, they don't really have the prospects. Like Hendricks, Lapierre, and Connor McMichael, I don't think move the needle to get you up to four from eight. Maybe to six, but not to four. So, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. What I will say is if Mitch Gov is there at six, you got to at least listen to what Washington is going to offer you. Because if you like Dvorsky that much, and if he's still on the board, and if you're not super worried about him going at seven, then I think you got to listen. 
But if they're not going to make it worth your while, then why not take that swing? You know, why not? Yeah, the Mishkov debate is fascinating to me because I love it. I don't think that there's been a, this talented a player with this many questions in a long time in the draft. If no. it was just two years ago where he was looking better than Bedard in the international tournaments, and I'm not saying he is better than Bedard. He's not. Well, that's bad right now. But yeah. he's the only player in this draft that can hold serve offensively next to him. Yeah, she's just such an incredible player. Um, yeah, I mean, to, to, I would say I would say on the lighter side of that, like like almost like a diet version of Michkov, that situation. I mean, obviously he's not Russian, and but in terms of the the attributes that he brings, being sort of sort of close to that top caliber of talent, I'm just you know I think if you're a Coyotes fan, you gotta really hope that Zach Benson falls to you at twelve. That's sort of similar to me because I feel like he's a top five talent, but I feel like he's going to fall. Um, I almost wonder if you take Dvorsky at six, even if you like Benson more, and then you hope that Benson falls because I think there's a very real possibility that that happens. And uh, maybe you can get them both. It's it's so interesting to me. Um, I love the draft for this reason. It's unpredictable. And uh, there are going to be some curveballs. And I think the Coyotes... Uh, they're they're gonna have a chance to throw not just a curveball but a knuckleball because they're in such an enviable position in that they're the they in terms of the pick value that they have they're the only team in the top twelve that has two picks you know they're the only team in the top fifteen that has two picks and so there's a lot of different ways that they can go um, really shows you the value they got in the Chickering trade you know because this is such a good draft at the top and they have they're the only team that really has the ability to take couple of gunshots back to back you know like they can really go for it here and, and take some swings and then really dictate the future of this franchise for the next 10-15 years if they do it right if that scenario that you laid out comes to happen and Coyotes somehow manage to get both Dalibor Dvorsky and Zach Benson I would be so incredibly happy because you are talking outside the big five names the Will Smith the Zach Benson every not Zach Benson Matt Vimishkov those big five names that are projected to go top five right now, those are my two favorite players in this draft. No questions about yeah. it. Benson's yeah, defense wild. is I mean, even if yeah. even if they got Reinbacher and Benson, I'd feel pretty similar. Um, I, I'm leaning Dvorsky at this point just because he's a center and he has such good two way skills. Um, but I mean, you get Reinbacher and Benson, that'd be pretty cool too. Um, lots of different avenues that I think they can go. They're going to get a guy at six no matter what, who I think they're going to really like. Um, now, the one thing that was weird, you know, Craig Button, obviously, is known for his out-there takes. He did say that the Coyotes, you know, I think he mocked Matthew Wood to the Coyotes at six. That would be wild. Um, pardon me. I, I They wouldn't do that, I don't think. Excuse me. But I do think they could do that at 12. And Matthew Wood, I feel like people were clowning on Craig Button a little bit too much without really understanding how good Matthew Wood is. Matthew Wood was a 17-year-old in the NCAA, and he put up a point a game with UConn. He was their leading scorer at 17. You don't see that. So that is another guy who, and he is 6'4". He's a 6'4 winger. So I think Matthew Wood could even go in the top 10 uh, this year. So yeah, just lots of different avenues. Very interesting stuff. On that Matthew Wood talk, I've made it pretty well known. I'm not the biggest fan of us taking Ryan Leonard. In large yeah. part because 
I don't see a big enough difference between Ryan Leonard and Matthew Wood to make Ryan yeah. Leonard worth going at six. If Matthew Wood has a, let's call it, 80% chance to be there at 12, and if the Coyotes feel he's not, due to their pick situation, they have every ability to move up to nine, ten to get him. Yeah. My no, it's, biggest it's so issue with Ryan Le- Yeah, that's my biggest issue with the Ryan Leonard lock that I've seen us on a couple occasions because just those I just don't see the difference between those two to make it worth that big of a swing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I couldn't say it any better myself. I think Matthew Wood, you know, offers so many dimensions in his game. Such a mature player at 17, playing not even like he's not playing against juniors, he's playing against collegiate athletes who are all older than he is. So, so, so interesting. I don't know if you can really go wrong with this top 15. You know, reminds me a lot of 2003, where really the only bust was Hugh Jessamine. And maybe Matthew Wood is Hugh Jessamine, but I don't think he is. So, that's why I love this draft. That's why I loved. The second I ha- that happened, I started defending the chicken trade because I, I saw this coming. I saw this. We're going to have two top 15 picks in this draft, and I have a hard time giving you people a list of my favorites at 12 because it's like I legitimately have 12 names I could go off at 12 that could be there easily in certain scenarios. This draft is going to be so fun. It is really going to be so fun. Can't wait. Uh, so before we uh, before we go, you have anything else on the draft you wanted to talk about, or do you want to talk about the what's going on up in Calgary with Flames situation there? Yeah, that's kind of wild too. I mean, they haven't really done anything yet. We'll see. Obviously, with uh, the players, I mean, I think it's kind of a blessing in disguise. The players all asking out. Um, they weren't going to win anything with this group anyway. Uh, I would move on from pretty much all of them see what they can do, uh, you know, sell Noah Hannafin to the highest bidder, maybe even sell Elias Lindholm to the highest bidder. Toffoli's going to get moved. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a reckoning that was overdue. And, uh, you know, a couple of years, if they play it right, maybe they'll be down where the Coyotes were three years ago, play, picking high and, uh, and, and, and adding to that core that they need to build. Um, because they had one, they lost one, and now they need to get another one. And that's one thing I want to point out, because I've seen a lot of people talking about Calgary in this situation being because of the market that they're in. I don't feel like it's that at all. I feel like it's the players see the writing on the wall. They see that this is right now a team heading towards mediocrity, and they want out before it happens, which is a good thing. It gives the Flames time to move them rather than watching what happened with Johnny Gaudreau happen all over again. Yeah, it's kind of a blessing of playing in a Canadian market where you don't have players who just want to stay because it's nice. Like, you know, that's kind of what happened in San Jose. Even though the team was mediocre, guys like Logan Couture and Thomas Hurdle all re-signed because it's California, right? Whereas in Calgary, if the team is mediocre, there's really no reason to stay. So kind of kind of kicks you in the butt a little bit. So, um, you know, it's, it's I think, overdue, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing if they can maybe get a second first round pick this year. Yeah, I think that I think that would be very, very crucial to their long-term rebuilding. Getting as many swings in this draft is going to be incredible. I think I saw elite prospects it was that had 50 first round graded talents in this draft, which is incredible considering there's usually not even a first round worth of first round graded talents in a draft. 
Oh yeah, a guy like a guy like um, Dragasevitz, for example, the defenseman, he would be a top twenty pick most years. He'll go in the late thirties this year, I think. There's you know Grayson Stotch and the guy with the Seattle Thunderbirds who I really like. He'll go you know fifties. Like it's it's it is a real deep draft. Um, you know, I, I think once you get to the fourth and fifth rounds, it starts to look like your typical draft. But higher up, you know, the depth of elite talent, um, you know, it just it goes, it keeps going on and on and on and on. The guys you really like, who you would be very comfortable taking, maybe even the late first round, early second round, you're going to be looking at guys like that even in the early third round. So it's it's really good. One thing I keep getting caught up on myself with that second round depth thing is a guy like Michael Horabel who yeah. in last year's draft, you're probably looking at, at 15. In this year's draft, there's a very real chance he's on the board for the Coyotes at second. Yeah, in their, I don't uh, really believe in pick. Yeah. At 38. Yeah, I don't really believe in drafting goaltenders, to be honest. I never really have. Um, with high picks, I have no problem with taking them late, like in the sixth and seventh rounds. Um, you know, I, I just find goaltenders are so replaceable. Um, and they can be acquired by so many different means, whether it be by waivers or by trade or by signing out of Europe or wherever. Um, and they develop so much later that you're, it's so hard to identify the goaltending talent when it is at draft age. Um, so it's just, you know, I, if you really like Harabal, I get he's big, he's six six, um, and scouts seem to like him. I, I can't say I've ever seen him myself. Um, he played on a terrible, terrible USHL team in Omaha this year. Uh, it was, I think, their last ranked team in their conference. Uh, and, you know, he put up some decent numbers. So, you know, he's played behind a bad team before. <laughs> so maybe you bring him here into Arizona and see what he can do. Um, yeah, I would prefer to see them draft a defenseman in the second round. I think there's a lot of good defensemen in that range. Um, like like Dragosevitz or Tanner Molendyke. Those are two who really stick out to me. There's a couple more. Um you know, Bo Aiki, uh, they really want to reach. They could go for Cam Allen, but I think that would be a bit too early. Um, you know, there's there's guys who I like down there. Uh, Etienne Morin is a guy who has really risen on a lot of uh, boards. I think the central scouting guy even said he might have had him as the best defenseman in the draft, which is real lofty praise. He's going in the 30s and a lot of mocks. So there's a lot of defensemen down in that range. Oliver Bonk, if he falls, he could maybe be down there. So um, you know, I, I would love to see them take a defenseman personally in the second round, but if they feel that strongly about Harabal and, you know, I guess pick your poison, but, uh, you know, it's, it's the way they can go. They obviously, I think need to draft, need to draft a goaltender this year. I would just maybe prefer to draft one later, um, and maybe bank on a guy who's a little bit smaller. Cause I find it's usually the bigger guys who get taken earlier and then the smaller, more athletic guys get taken later. Um, and I find the smaller, more athletic guys are, are, are honestly easier to project long-term. Um, there's even a, a guy who I've seen on no lists at all who really sticks out to me. His name is Colin McKenzie. He plays for the Ottawa 67s, and I think he could be had maybe in the seventh round. But he had a 928 save percentage with the Ottawa 67s this year in 30 games, but he's only six feet tall. That's the kind of late-round guy. Reminds me of Dustin Wolf in Calgary, who was picked in the seventh round. And because he was short, but he ends up being a, a superstar AHL goaltender who's going to be in the NHL next year, right? So, you know, it's it's an interesting philosophical debate. Um, we'll see what they end up doing. I, I I'm very curious, um, and uh, I'm, I can't wait to see it all unfold. 
One thing I will say on that goaltender thing is I would think that this last Stanley Cup tends to show your side being more right in that with the fact that it was a cast-off Aiden Hill who was given up on by the Sharks and a Sergei Bobrovsky who a year ago everyone was trying to get rid of his contract in Florida. That were the two starting goalies in the Stanley Cup Finals. Alex Lyon uh, was also Florida's starter to start the playoffs. He was undrafted and it bounced around the AHL for years before he landed up in Florida. So, you know, it's just that sort of thing, right? But also you go back before that and then Tampa Bay's winning with Vasilevsky and Pittsburgh's winning with Fleury and Matt Murray, who they both drafted. And So there's no real one way to do it. Obviously, Colorado wins with Darcy Kemper, right? So there's, you know, it can go either way. But I, I personally believe that where with the Coyotes are right now, they need to be prioritizing more defensemen. You can get goaltenders anywhere, I find. Um, you know, I find they come last in any, re- any, any rebuild. And I don't think they're at the point yet where they need to really be thinking about goaltenders. But if there's one who they really, really believe in, then I wouldn't object to it. It's just, it all comes down to the circumstance. If there are like six good defensemen still on the board at 38 and they don't pick one, I'll be a little bit curious. But nevertheless, uh, we can't project that until it actually happens. So I'm really excited to see what happens. And this is why, to me, the draft is so fun. It's so fun to talk about. It's so fun to mock. It's so fun on all of these perspectives because nobody knows. Someone like me, who's a complete outsider who has no inside knowledge, can get just as many rights in a mock draft as one of the experts because as much as they know more and I'm not saying you should listen to me over an expert. You should absolutely be listening to the Corey Pronmans and Scott Wheelers of the world over me 99 out of 99 times. But yeah. it's why it's yeah. so fun because it is so unknown. You're never going to speculate. You're never going to stop people from speculating about this sort of stuff. I mean, and there's no reason to. It's what drives engagement. It's what drives interest. It's what keeps people watching this sport. So, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. We've already seen, I mean, <laughs> I go back to 2021 and two of the guys who I was the highest on going into that draft were Dylan Gunther and JJ Moser. And they both ended up in Arizona. And that was really exciting this year. I would say, here's what I'll say. If you can get, um, uh, uh, Dvorsky at six and Benson at 12. And if Benson isn't there at 12, then a guy, maybe, um, I don't know. Somebody else at 12, uh, I'll just do it for the for the sake of it. I'll say Matthew Wood if Benton's not there. If you can get Matthew Wood at 12 or Dmitry Simashev at 12. And then if you can get uh, Dragasevitz at 38, that to me would be huge. That to me would be a huge haul and push this team toward contending. Um, and that's just the sort of thing that I think is very reasonable. And if you get lucky and you get a guy like Will Smith fall to you at six, then you're even more in business. Or if Mitchkov falls to you at six, then, you know, things are really getting spicy. So, yeah, there's so many avenues, and uh, we'll all see you in four days. Absolutely. I can't remember if you were or not. Are you going to be able to join us for the live stream at any point this Wednesday? I'm not too sure. We'll have to figure that out. Um, um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll check my schedule. I got some daily face-off stuff that I'm going to be uh, writing during the draft, so it might be a little bit tough, but maybe at some point I can pop in. We'll see. 
Oh, absolutely. You definitely have an open invite. So anytime you want to pop Sounds on, good. we'll make sure you're in. But thank you so much for joining me tonight. I didn't think for most of the day I was going to be able to get out an emergency pod because everyone else on pod was busy. So this this was a huge boost. Thank you so much. It's always good talking hockey with you, man. Uh, Why don't you plug a few bits of your recent work and we'll get you out of here. No, I just continue working over at Daily Faceoff, dailyfaceoff.com. And, uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot more than that. I just uh, keep writing and uh, following the draft, and hopefully I'll get to have a vacation this summer. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on. Thank you all for listening. This is exciting times to be a Coyotes fan, and we will talk to you next time. Enjoy it, and see you guys at the draft live stream.